I'm excited to be sharing with you today for the first time. Uh, I'm not going to go through a full testimony today. It's a lot of people do when they talk for the first time. But I do think it's important to know a little bit about me uh, and my family before uh, I get started, especially since since I'm in the prime time spot here. Uh, My name is Andy Detro. My beautiful wife, Lynn, and I are the directors of youth ministry here at the Vineyard. We've been doing that job since January of this year. Uh, For those of you who don't know, it is a part-time job. I've had so many people come up to me and they're like, man, how how do you raise four kids and live where you live and do what you do and and, uh, all on a youth pastor's salary? That's pretty impressive. And and let me emphatically tell you, for all youth pastors out there, that you can't. (laughs) It's not possible. So, no, my other job and career, I'm I'm a real estate developer. I build shopping centers. Uh, I build them, I own them, I take a cornfield, I go out to tenants like TJ Maxx and Kohl's and PetSmart and, and those guys, and I end up uh, uh, building those, owning them, and selling them, and that's kind of what my wife and I have been doing for, for our whole careers. Uh, so when I'm not at church, that's what you'll see me doing, uh, and I typically travel quite a bit. So in addition to owning my business and raising the family and managing all those other darts that are being thrown at us, I'm also working on my second master's degree. My first one in business, right? So I have an MBA, and uh, and you kind of get that one as like the kind of like tool and requirement of kind of moving on, and and so I did that early on in my career. But the one that's of more importance to me is right now I'm working on, or I'm in the middle of working on my master's in theological studies at Trinity, uh, which is kind of like a divinity degree. It's basically the kind of the same thing. Uh, so life's exhausting, right? You know, but I really believe that God won't burden any of us with what we can't handle. And there are many days that I'm kind of ready to tip over. <laughs> There's like no doubt there are days that are really stressful. But I feel firm in answering God's call, and that's amazingly why I'm standing up here today. God is good indeed, right? So I moved to Wisconsin in 2006 to work for, to work for Kohl's department stores in the real estate department. Uh, I left there in 2012 to partner with some of my great friends uh, out of Greenville, South Carolina, and I opened my own development company in 2013. And I'm really proud of that career. I mean, I work really hard. Everybody here works hard in what they do, and they're proud of their career. Um, And I was getting promoted and doing all those things, but I wasn't proud of where my priorities were. Um, Something was missing in my life, right? That it was missing. And it took me a while to figure out what that it was. And it resulted in my first marriage falling apart and ultimately a yearning to reestablish my faith and recenter my life. When Lynn and I started dating, she had gone through something similar. She had a career that was blossoming. She'd been promoted a bunch. She was doing really well. But for a litany of reasons, uh, she also had a marriage that had failed. Um, We'd been friends for many years, and we both strongly believed that God put each other in each other's lives as a gift of grace from our Father. He was saying to us, I will care for you and take care of you. I have something even more spectacular in store for both of you. And he was right. Again, I I never imagined I'd be standing up here in in front of you and pursuing a life of pastoral care. God works wonders. Since I've rededicated my life to Christ, it has really been an amazing blessing. So since I lead the youth here, For those of you who don't know that, since I lead the youth here, uh, I wanted to start by sharing a story from one of our high school youth group meetings called Blaze that we had a couple months ago. 
We started in early September. And we're working our way through a book called The Gospel-Centered Life for Teens. It's by a guy, Will Walker and Robert Thune. At least I think that's how you say his last name. And the book tackles the challenges that our youth, youth face today and kind of what we all face today. Our goal is to examine the ugliness that exists and how to make God our center. In the first chapter, in the, first chapter the author asks a unique question. He says, do you think people are inherently good or inherently bad? Pretty straightforward, right? Pretty basic question. But when the group started to sheepishly share their opinions, right? That's kind of what youth do. They all kind of like wait for that moment to come in with a sidewinder, you know? I was blown away by their responses. And, and Lynn took some, some good notes. So we're paraphrasing some of the statements they made. But our youth today in that little circle, and I'm convinced kind of all around, uh, believe that people are inherently bad, right? Some of their responses were, all you have to do is turn on the news, and you see all the bad that's happening in the world. Another response was, if you knew some of the terrible things people do and say at school, you'd see why I think this way. People are only interested in protecting themselves. This is our youth group, right? Humans are greedy, self-centered. And the last one was, look at how we have used the earth and have destroyed everything God has created. Yikes, right? Pretty cynical way of looking at things, but maybe it's not so far off of what some of us think as well when we really dig in. And the beauty of these statements is that they come from the heart, right? Our kids are open books, like sponges. They absorb everything around them, and they kind of regurgitate. They spit out everything that they see, learn, hear. And um, it doesn't take a PhD to figure out where that's coming from, you know? I mean, with this technological world we live in, if you have the lens on of a teenager... I think you could start to see why they might feel that way. We live in a world consumed by the Kardashians and the YouTube crazies. My kids even, I'll say, hey, let's name a famous person. They name somebody on YouTube I've like never heard of in my entire life. I mean, we can relate, right? It's like, ah, uh, okay, I have no idea who that is, but that's, they have a million followers, Dad. Uh, we also have, a, yeah, we also have, a, you can tell who all the parents are like, relate. Uh, you know, we have a culture that celebrates athletes, right? I mean, they, man, they, we, we put them on a pedestal. And we rarely spend any time focused on teachers or police or firefighters anymore. And it's sad, but good deeds are rarely honored. While a spectacular catch or touchdown or even sad or a horrific murder will make the nightly news. And I know it's a bit of a bummer. I'm going to raise it up here in a moment, I promise. But, but that's the truth, right? I mean, that's the society we're living in. And we could spend an entire series talking about how to bring better influences into our house. But what I wanted to point out from this conversation with our youth was the one comment that came from one bold kid. And when I say bold kid, think about that. All the kids pile on, right? The minute a statement's made, all the kids start talking about why that makes sense. And, and I heard one kid say, raised his hand, and he says, I do not think that is true. It's our environment and surroundings that lead us to make bad decisions. People are good, but choices in our environment from a young age lead us in the wrong direction. I mean, that is almost verbatim of what that you said. And man, that was impactful to me. I loved it. I couldn't agree more, by the way. Uh, so I don't want to be on the inherently bad. I like being on the inherently good side. And in fact, I want to read Genesis 1.27 real quick, and then we'll kind of uh, jump into some stuff here. Let's see. Genesis 1.27 says, so God created man in his own image. 
in, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. If God is perfect in all ways, right, and the only thing he hates is sin itself, we must have been made inherently good. He even continues with this in verse 31. Maybe it's up there. In the same chapter by saying, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Right? God made us in his image, and he saw all, not just some of it. Right? He saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Those two verses alone should give us the peace and understanding that God created us for things that go well beyond a next promotion, a larger office, a bigger house, a more stable retirement. God created us not only to be good, but to do good. You might be asking what this story has to do with being common or serving as a form of discipleship, but we'll go ahead and pray and then we can dig into that a little bit more. Dear Heavenly Father, we invite you to stir up our emotions and thoughts today as we hear your word. Holy Spirit, move in us beyond the abundance that you have already provided and help us see the world in a new way. Give us the strength to be bold in our lives and live a life devoted and completely to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to continue reading some scripture here, and this is kind of, we'll dive into a little bit of the meat, but we're going to be reading from Romans chapter 9, verse 21. If I can find my way there. I love my kids scribble in my Bible. It's always fun when you open to that page and there's marker all over it. So uh, let's see, Romans 9, 21, and, and maybe you guys, most of you probably know this, but does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? When I first read this verse many years ago, I spent a tremendous amount of time focusing on wanting to be that special or noble purpose type of pottery. You follow me, right? You read it and you think, that's what I'm going to be. I was convinced God would use me in a special way and that I would do something miraculous with my life. There was no way God was going to use me for common use. What a, what a waste of talent, right? <laughs> he wanted, he, we all want to be used for special purposes. Right? It almost feels insulting that we would be used as some sort of soup bowl or chipped serving dish. No way, right? God was going to use me as some gold-gilded china piece that he proudly displayed year-round and, and brought out on only those most special of occasions. When that dish was brought out to the table, everyone would ooh and ah over the amazement of that dish. But I know, and I think, I know and think, that I've been reading this verse completely wrong over the years. I am convinced that like our inherently bad people, you know, the, uh, the church youth critics that we have, that I've been looking at this verse with the wrong set of glasses. Just hear me out on this. When it comes to spreading the word of God, would you rather be used on a very limited and special occasion or for daily use over and over again? How much interaction would you get with friends or family, colleagues, neighbors, if you were sitting in a china cabinet behind a glass door? Not a heck of a lot. God created us to be used for common use, and that's the general idea of serving others, right? 
When we talk about service as a form of discipleship, maybe you're thinking, oh man, here we go. Pat has convinced Andy to come up here and try to get everybody to volunteer more at church. <laughs> yeah, amen, right? Yeah. <laughs> amen. And while, yes, that's a great way to serve, <laughs> little plug, uh, I'm convinced that stepping up our Christian game, right, is what God really intends. It's the essence of doing and living our life like Jesus, right? To care for others, to visit a neighbor when they're sick, to carry someone's groceries to the store or to the car, to hold the door open for others, to play with your children, or simply to smile at someone who looks like their day could use it. I think serving goes well beyond what you can do at church and starts by changing our lives outside of these doors. So be common in the potter's eyes through everyday acts of service. Have you ever noticed how it feels when you do something nice for another person? It's okay. It feels really good, right? We have a little lighter step in our walk. We're filled with euphoria of turning someone's day around. And I'm convinced that the feeling you're feeling is that God is smiling down on you. He created that feeling inside of us. Right? He didn't make it a bad feeling. He made it a wonderful feeling inside of us. When you impact someone else in a meaningful way, big or small, it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be a small thing. You're being Christ-like. You're doing the stuff that Pat and Adam talk about here every week. So be common in the potter's eyes through everyday acts of service. One of the big terms out there right now is touch points. I deal with this a lot from a, from a business, but any business that you're involved with or, or maybe not even want to be involved with but is on social media. They're clamoring to get your attention, right? There's ads, emails, Facebook, TV, radio, dot, dot, dot. It goes on and on. It's exhausting. It's one of the reasons we had our TechWise series a few weeks ago because it can rule our lives. It can take over. And when I think of Romans 9.21 and we soak in that thought of common use, it's God's way of creating as many touch points with people that he can. You see, God speaks to each of us, and he's impacted our lives in a multitude of ways. But that isn't where our faith or our responsibilities as Christians stop. It's our job to be an example of those Christ-like qualities as well. He says this in his own words when he's asked by the disciples who amongst them is the greatest. And that's Luke 22, 26 through 27. And he says, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves? I love this because our God, right, he comes down. He could command that we carry him around, that we worship him all day, that we, you know, I mean, just constantly throw ourselves at him. And yet he chose to serve. He gave us an example. He taught us through service. And I think that's important. He didn't do it in a different way for us to get a different way out of it. He did that so that we'd be talking about it now. He also says through Paul, as he writes in Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. 
And then finally in Hebrews 6.10, I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you guys right now. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Now don't get me wrong, we all stumble. I certainly do. Uh, But making conscious and direct decisions to change your view of life can indirectly change another's day without you even really knowing it. You know, making conscious and direct decisions in your life can indirectly impact someone else's life. And this week and from now on, we always do some questions and things, but I like the idea of challenging ourselves. I've been going through this myself and kind of examining yourself. Just take a few minutes and think of how you're perceived in all settings of life. I want you to ask yourself these questions or at least something along these lines. How would God feel about the way I've treated others or my service to others up to this point? Maybe it's in my life. Maybe it's over the last month or the last few days. How could I improve the way I communicate or speak to others? How could I change or evolve one area of my life that would be noticeable to others and have a positive impact on people around me? Again, we love the idea of more volunteers at church, and we wholeheartedly welcome that. But these course corrections, as I'll call it, they don't have to be life-changing decisions, right? I mean, it's not like blow up everything you got going on. Simply taking a moment to visit with someone. You don't have to share the gospel with somebody just to visit with them. You know, taking a genuine interest in someone else's life and being there to listen to them is an act of service. Even though it's, it's kind of snowy out and we're not thinking so much about summer right now, but mowing your neighbor's yard in the summer, helping them clean up their brush is an act of service. Sometimes it could be letting someone in in traffic when it's snarled and you're riding the bumper of the person in front of you. Man, I've done that a million times. Right? Or making an extra cup of coffee for somebody at work. You know, I mean, we all work with a lot of the same people over and over. You know what they drink every morning? Why not make their cup of coffee for them? Those are small acts of service. So be common in the potter's eye through everyday acts of service. I want to share a personal story quickly about how a random act of service impacted me. A couple years ago, we had moved into the house that we're in now. And uh, Lynn and I and our family, we love the house that we're in. And we have some pretty amazing neighbors. They're not so much in our social group of friends, but they're awesome people. Um, And amazingly, and through God's grace, one of my neighbors now goes here, goes here. And this story's about him. So I don't actually see him here today, but it's Tom over there if he's there. Liesl's like, oh boy. It was one of those unbelievably snowy nights. And I had to head to the airport in the morning for a business trip, early morning. I woke up with that immediate pain and dread of having to snow blow the driveway, right? It's like 10 degrees. That's horrible. It's freezing cold, still snowing. That's not how I want to start my day or roll out of bed. And more importantly, for those of you who don't know me, I am not a morning person at all. Like one of the, I actually turned down doing announcements because I'm like, no, it's cool. I'm just not ready at 8.30 in the morning. Right? My plan was to jump out of bed, throw on my snowsuit, and hit the driveway before running in to take a quick shower, and get on my way. But when I opened the garage door, to my amazement, the driveway was already plowed. This may seem like nothing to some of you, but it was a big deal to me. It impacted me greatly. Not only did I not have to endure the cold, 
but I could now take a shower at a more leisurely pace, spend a few extra minutes with my wife and kids before I had to head to the airport. Tom didn't know any of that, right? He didn't know what my morning looked like. Maybe I didn't have anything going on that day. But this random act of kindness, dare I say, service to others, impacted me. It took Tom enduring another 20 minutes in the freezing cold and quite possibly missing time with his family. But he did it anyhow. Because of the kind spirit my neighbor is, I, I doubt he even equated that act of service to what it really meant to me. It showed me yet another example of service to others. And in that moment, Tom was displaying a Christ-like quality. It was awesome. <clears throat> now, I know that some of you are thinking, or maybe not thinking, but thinking about Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. It's a pretty famous quote, quote, scripture verse, I should say. And there's probably some of you who are like, I have no idea what Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 is. So I'm going to read it. I'm here, give me a second. May not even Well, you know what, I'll do it off here. So it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I'm like waiting for somebody to do the mic drop and blow up my whole talk like, oh, boom, man, you know? And, uh, but what I think God isn't saying here is go ahead Live your life without care for others, right? Because of the grace I gave you, you don't need to worry about anybody else. It's my gift to you. You're, you're good. It's not what he's saying. He's saying that because of this gift, you can shed your anxiety and stress and focus on others and genuinely care for them. This is done through acts of service. I always love when people read the Bible, and I'm, I've done this, and in some ways I'm doing this today, and they quote the Scripture without looking at the rest of the story. Guys, follow me on that? You know, like ask a question, they quote the scripture, and you're like, I don't think that applies. But um, you can take one phrase, one piece of scripture from the Bible, you can make it relevant to anything you want, right? You can twist it and create your own narrative around it. So if you read a little further into Ephesians, because Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 is this like, people know that verse. It's one of those like memorable verses. And when you read a little further into Ephesians and you look at, just verse 10, we see that Jesus continues through Paul with this. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, that's the NIV version, which I like. I use that. Uh, but I also like to go back and forth through other translations. And I think the message version is pretty cool. I'm just going to read Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, kind of the way he's Eugene Peterson's kind of summed it up. He says, saving is, all, saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust in him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play a major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we had done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he has, he has gotten ready for us to do. Work we had better be doing. So there isn't a counter up in heaven, you know, recording your good deeds and bad deeds, right? Jesus rescued us from the cross, or, you know, by dying on the cross. He became flesh to wipe the slate clean because none of us, not even Tom, 
my neighbor is faultless in this world. God rescued us and he taught us by his service to others. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says, Each of us should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So before we close, let's take a minute and think of that old vision of St. Peter, right? Standing at the pearly gates and you're anxiously waiting, right? Your turn, there's this long line, right? And you're waiting to see if you're on the list. Now, we all know that's not how it's going down, right? We know that's not how it works. But, but I'm pretty sure and I hope that when I walk up to St. Peter, he isn't going to say, Andy, man, you crushed it. You built some amazing shopping centers. Man, those tenants paid a bunch of rent. Good for you. Come on in. <laughs> right? I, like, don't think that's what's going to happen. I'm convinced he's going to mention the love I showed to my friends and family through genuine kindness. The dedication to his word, and while I am full of fault, the fact that I was truly repentant of my sins. I chose to live my life according to his teachings and put my faith in him, and my and my family's life belongs to him. That's why I'm standing here today. Nowhere in my life did I intend to be standing in front of you. But God chose me, and I'm answering that call today. This act of service is a way of honoring my Lord and Father in hopes that he can continue to use me for common, everyday use. It's something I'm proud to be and something we all should be proud to be common in the potter's eyes.